Gospel chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 17. Not a lengthy reading tonight. We're just going to read down to verse 20 of this chapter. Matthew's Gospel chapter 5 beginning in verse 17. Matthew's Gospel chapter 5 verse 17. The Lord Jesus speaking says, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all shall be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. And we trust that the Lord will bless the reading of his precious word to our hearts tonight. A number of years ago in a television interview, the actress Jane Fonda, speaking of her former husband, the, uh, the uh, founder of the American news channel CNN, Ted Turner, stated her belief that her husband would ultimately get to heaven even though he wasn't particularly religious. In fact, she said he was, in her words, a shoe-in because there would be a lot of animals up there welcoming him. Animals that have been brought back from the edge of extinction because of Ted. He's turned out to be a good guy, she said. He says he's not religious. The whole time I was with him, every speech, and he likes to give speeches, he always ends his speeches with, God bless. Like most people in the Western world, Jane Fonda is under the illusion that people can earn their way to heaven. That they can go to heaven by being kind and by doing good. And we hear it all the time. We hear it at funerals. We hear it in the media. Uh, we hear it in the movies. We hear it even in personal conversation. Many people think that by doing the best they can, by doing good things, by being charitable and kind and considerate and being civil, by not being bad as men count badness, by going to church perhaps, Uh, being uh, helpful along the way by keeping the commandments, they can make it into heaven. Most people believe that. But most people are wrong. This false perception of salvation is really as old as time and was certainly the prevailing view in the life of time of the Lord Jesus and certainly among the Jews of his day. The Jews of old believed that in order for a man to be saved, he had to keep God's law. But Jesus came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill the law. And he came to set the record straight and point these men and women in the direction of heaven. And so I want to think tonight about our relationship to the law, the law and to think about where the law comes in with respect to heaven and whether or not we can go to heaven by simply being a good person. And I want to begin by looking at verses 17 and 18 of our reading and thinking about our Redeemer and the, and the law. The Lord Jesus said, Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, 
I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. He says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle will in no wise pass from the law, till all will be fulfilled. Now Jesus said that he had not come to abolish the law, but he had come to accomplish the law. That is what the word fulfill here means. He says, I've come to accomplish it. I've come to obey it. I've come to show you how it ought to be done. In other words, he came to achieve what no man before him or since has ever achieved, and that is to fulfill the law to the letter, to live before God under the law of God, the most perfect of lives. No one has ever done that before or since the Lord Jesus Christ. No one could accuse him of sin. Even in his lifetime, there were many who would have loved to have found some flaw in him, some crack, at some area where he was inconsistent in some way, but they found that he was completely sinless and absolutely impeccable. Paul said that he knew no sin. And Peter added that he did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth. John says he was full of grace and truth and calls him Jesus Christ the righteous. Pilate said he had done nothing amiss and even Judas said that his, his blood was innocent blood. None of these things could ever be said about you. It could never be said of you that you're entirely innocent, that you've never done anything wrong, that you've never had guile in your mouth, that, that you are identified as being totally righteous. None of that could be said about me, for that matter. And the writer of Hebrew puts it this way, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. There's the difference. You see, Jesus and Jesus alone is the only man who ever lived his life without sin. And indeed, in the book of Hebrews, the Bible teaches that Jesus and Jesus alone was holy, harmless, undefiled, and separate, distinct from sinners. Jesus said to himself, for I came down from heaven not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. He claimed to have kept his father's commandments in John 15 and said, I do always those things that please him. Now, I, you know, I cannot say I always do those things that please the Lord. I wish I could say that. I wish that was my testimony. But I cannot say it about myself but Jesus could say it about himself because he was born without sin and he lived a perfect sinless life. He fulfilled God's law in person to the letter. And so contrary to the charges of his enemies, he had come not to eradicate the law of God. In fact, he says at verse 18 that such a notion was an impossibility. He says, For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no ways pass from the law, till all shall be fulfilled. Do you realize the Bible is both eternal and indestructible? It's rooted in eternity past, 
and it will continue forever into eternity uh, future. You see, it's not possible to destroy the Word of God. I love that. There are people today who are trying to get rid of the Bible. They've got the Bible out of the schools, and they've got the Bible out of the drawers of hotels, and they've got the Bible out of hospitals, and they think that they're winning against the Bible. Let me tell you, friends, history will tell you, you'll never win against the Word of God. Jesus said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. It's not possible to destroy it. You know, the psalmist said this, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. Forever settled. Absolutely indestructible. Now let me tell you something. God is not going to change his mind about the law in order to, in order to bow to the pressure of modern society or modern men. God isn't going to change his mind about the commandments because modern, modern men feel they can't live up to them and therefore they feel that somehow or other we need to adjust or tweak the law. I remember a number of years ago there was some talk about the Pope writing ten new commandments. Well, there's not going to be new commandments. God's quite happy with the commandments that he has. And, and there are people who pro- approach the Bible in such a way and who approach the law of God in such a way as they see the truths of Scripture as being somehow something fluid, something that can be molded, something that can be manipulated, something that can be edited and revised. Something that can be altered in order to suit the times or to suit the culture. But Jesus was clear, not one jot, not one little iota, not one tittle shall be, uh, shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Or as the Amplified Version puts it, not the smallest letter or stroke of the pen will pass from the law until all things which it foreshadows are accomplished. Not one stroke of the pen will be removed from holy writ. In order to please men. You see God has not changed his mind. About the law. And I want you to get this. Because whatever men may say. Whatever laws our parliament. Or other parliaments may pass. And they can pass them to kingdom come and will. Adultery is still adultery. Lying is still lying. Covetousness is still covetousness. Theft is still theft. Murder is still murder. You see, that which was sinful and perverse 4,000 years ago is still sinful and perverse today. You say, well, we've moved on. Well, God hasn't. You see, God is still standing upon his word. He's standing by his word. And sin is still sin. And the law is still law. And God is immutable. That is, he never changes. He's never going to change his mind. He's never going to reverse his decisions. He's never going to say, I made a mistake. I was too harsh. I was too extreme. I didn't mean that. That's not what what I meant to say. So God gets it right first time, and it stays right all the time. You say, well, pastor, that's a little bit outmoded. You know, what about homosexuals? And what about transgenders? And what about abortion? Let me tell you something. There was a time when homosexuality was outlawed in this country. There was a time when abortion was illegal in this country. 
there was a time if you went and told your doctor you were transgender, he would have possibly sent you to the mental facility for treatment. And God hasn't changed his mind about these things. We said it earlier. Uh, Forever, O Lord, thy word is what? Settled. Settled in the heavens. The psalmist says the law of the Lord is perfect. If something's perfect, it doesn't need to be changed. If something's perfect, it doesn't need to be revised. If something's perfect, it doesn't need to be edited. If something's perfect, it doesn't need to be altered. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, the Bible says, making wise the simple. The psalmist says the works of God's hands are verity and judgment, truth and judgment. And all his commandments are sure, certain. God is not going to change to please you. He's not going to change to please you. And so it was impossible. And that's the point that Jesus was making. People said, well, he's come to destroy the law. And Jesus says, look, it's impossible to destroy the law. He hadn't come to overthrow the law. He hadn't come to rid the world of the law or to revise the law or indeed to do anything by his words or actions other than to accomplish the law. You see, here's the thing. Jesus is the one who gave us the law. When you go back into the book of Exodus and you read that God inscribed the commandments on tablets of stone that were brought down from Mount Sinai by Moses, that those commandments were written by the finger of God. Understand that that is the finger of Christ. He wrote the law. He is its author. And he was the one who sent the prophets to preach it. And he's the one who is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. Nothing's going to be changed. And God is not going to adopt in order to please you. Now I want to think in verse 19 about the redeemed and the law. Look what it says. Wherefore, therefore, or whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Now, we believers sing, and we've just sang it here in our service, free from the law, happy condition, Jesus has bled, and there is remission. But I want to ask you a question tonight. Are Christians really free from the law? Well, in a legal sense, for sure, we're free for the law. We're justified apart from any works of the law. But in a moral sense, we're not free from the law. You see, as Christians, we are obligated to surrender our lives to the moral code of God and uh, we're to see to it that God is put first, we, that we don't engage in any form of idolatry, that we honor his name and you know, we're to remember that one day in seven belongs to the Lord, that, to, that we're to honor our parents, that we're not to kill anyone by action or indeed by attitude of the heart, we're not to be guilty of murder, we're not to commit adultery or to steal or to covet. You know, there are those who come along And because they've heard the gospel of grace, now I want you to listen carefully because you may be one of them and if you're one of them, your soul is in danger. There are people who come along and they hear the gospel of grace 
and they hear that you can be saved apart from the works of the law, that you're saved by grace through faith and that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And you get this idea in your head, well, I can be a Christian and live any way I please. I can take the gift of salvation and then I can just live any old way that I want to live. You know, there's, that's, a, that's a doctrine, a philosophy. It's a false philosophy. It's called antinomianism. The idea where there is no law that's spoken against us. That we're not to be subject to any law. And so there are people who uh, profess to be Christians, but my, they live like the devil. And they think because they came to Sunday school or a children's club or even an evangelistic meeting and someone led them in a prayer and said, A, B, C, repeat after me. And they repeated a prayer and they said that prayer that that saves them for all eternity. And there's been no repentance, no change of heart, no consideration of Christ, really. And, and the consequence of that is that you end up just saying a prayer, but there's no real change comes to your life. If that's you tonight, let me tell you something. I want to be honest with you. You're a lost person. You're a lost person. You say, but I prayed a prayer. Listen, people pray prayers all over the world that mean nothing. Nowhere in the Bible will you find this notion, repeat after me. It's not there. It's a falsehood. And so uh, there are those who believe this way, who think they can live however they please and, and have no ramifications, no, uh, there will be no judgment of them that because they prayed this prayer, they're through the door and that's it and they don't have to live for Jesus and they don't have to give any notion, give any notice to the word of God and they don't have to think about God's will for their lives. They don't have to walk in fellowship with the Savior. And then there are those who, who counter, who want to counter that because, you know, you, you have this one group of people who say, well, I can live whatever way I please and uh, it doesn't matter how I live because I prayed the prayer. And then there's another group of people who say, well, if you don't live right, if you make a profession of faith and you trust Christ as your Savior and you sin and you backslide, well, you're in danger of losing your salvation. Well, that's another extreme. But we mustn't detract from the doctrine of salvation because of the sins of men. Rather, we need to see that a truly saved person no longer lives to please himself. That he dies to himself and he lives for the Lord. He lives to please the Lord who bought his salvation. Now with regard to the law, Paul no more disavows it than Jesus did and says this of God's law in Romans 7.12 Wherefore the law is holy and the commandment holy and just and good. Paul doesn't say the law is a bad thing. He doesn't say, I'm putting the law in a drawer and you don't have to worry about it anymore. He says, the law is holy and just and good. Now, for the Christian living under grace, the moral code of God still stands. Uh, For it's it's not merely a matter of obligation, and it's certainly not a matter, an act of salvation to be obedient to the law, but it's a matter of the heart's direction. God has changed my heart, and now I want to live for Him. You know, Jesus summarized the whole law with two thoughts. Look a a little later in the book of Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Verse 35. 
Matthew chapter 22 and verse 35, here we have a Pharisee trying to trick the Lord up, trying to find some reason to condemn him. It says, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him, saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Notice what Jesus said. He said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. You see what Jesus said here. He said for the believer, the law is not a matter of obligation. It's a matter of love. I love God and I love my neighbor. That's what Christ does in your life. If you'll come to Christ tonight, God will change your heart and you'll come to the place where you'll love God and you'll love your neighbor neighbor why would you do that because your heart and your spirit has been regenerated and the spirit of God has begun to work in your life and a change takes place and you'll have a new nature not like the old sinful nature look in Romans chapter 13 again Paul speaking of the law doesn't disavow it he doesn't deny it he doesn't decry it Romans chapter 13 In verse 8, he says, Oh, to no man anything but to love one another, for he that loveth another hath fulfilled the law. He repeats what Jesus has said. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. For this, he says, Thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not bear false witness, thou shalt not covet. He's repeating the Ten Commandments. If there be any other commandment, it is briefly comprehended in this saying, namely, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Love worketh no ill to his neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. You see, God doesn't want a Christian to fulfill the law, to endeavor to fulfill the law, because he's living under a cloud of legalism. He wants him to surrender to the moral code of the law, because he loves the God who gave the law. And so being free from the law, oh happy condition, doesn't mean that we're free to sin. Now for sure we all fall short and for sure we're all broken and for sure we're all sinful and surely every one of us will break and has broken the law of God. That's not the issue here. The issue is this. God's law is eternal, written in stone with the finger of God. And we are as duty bound to its obedience as much as any other. Indeed, I would say even more than others. But though the believer has a relationship to the law that ought to be a happy one, we must never for one moment believe that by the keeping of the law we can be or will be saved. You see, if that was the case, everyone would be lost. If the keeping of the law was the condition of salvation, you wouldn't be saved tonight if you're here and you know the Lord. And I wouldn't be saved tonight. Because I've broken God's law and you've broken God's law. And far from bringing us into life, the uh, law would condemn us to death. The commandments of God would prove to be the minister of death unto us, bringing us under God's utter condemnation. But thank God tonight, Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to live a perfect life, to be the perfect sacrifice, to make the perfect payment for the penalty of sin, that we would be forgiven and reconciled unto God. And without him, our cause would be utterly hopeless. 
Paul puts it this way in Romans 7. But now are we delivered from the law. That being dead wherein we were held that we should serve in newness of spirit. And not in the oldness of the letter. What shall we say then? Is the law sin? God forbid, he says. Nay, I had not known sin, but by the law. For I had not known lust, except the law had said, Thou shalt not covet. But sin, taking occasion by the commandment, wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, sin was dead. For I was alive without the law once. But when the commandment came, sin revived and I died and the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me and by it slew me. Here's what Paul said about the law. He said, before I heard the law, I was alive. I was having the time of my life. But then the law came and it found me out. And far from leading me to life, it brought me face to face with the holiness of God and condemned me to death. Well, I want you to think about the religious and the law in verse 20. Where is the Lord Jesus going with this? He says, For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you shall in no wise enter into the kingdom of heaven. I took the opportunity a few days ago to clean out my filing cabinet. I don't know if you've got a filing cabinet at home. It's probably like my filing cabinet. It was full of rubbish. Stuff that I'd been keeping from... 20, 25 years ago that nobody was going to ever ask for. And so I decided to go through my filing cabinet and clear out everything that wasn't relevant, that wasn't up to date. And I went through and I found all my kids' school reports. And I began to read those school reports. And they made me laugh. I put them all in an envelope and sent them to them. Said, there's some bedtime reading for you. That's what you should do with your kids' school reports. You should keep them till they're about 30 or 40 years of age and send them to them. But I was looking down one particular daughter's school reports and it made me laugh because every time her report came in, it was the same thing. Must do better. Every single, suit, every single subject, the teacher said, must do better. And it made me smile because when I got my school reports, Mine said, must do better. You know what? I think that teachers get tired just saying stuff and they just write down, must do better. You've got to fill in hundreds of school reports. You know, who wants to sit there and write something nice about every child? You know, you want them to do better, so you just go, must do better. However good they are, you must do better. And I remember as a child trying to do better. Trying to do better in French. Trying to do better in geography. And then the report would come out and the teacher would say, must do better. And I thought, these teachers are never pleased. Never happy. Now let me say to you, when it came to the law of God, no one tried harder than the Pharisee. No one. I mean... They, re- they wore phylacteries around their arms and on their heads. If you look at Matthew 23, I know that last week uh, Martin was here and he was preaching and he showed you phylacteries and how all of this works. And, uh, you know, that was very timely, I guess. I didn't tell him what to preach on. The Lord moved him and to do it, and I'm glad that he did. 
But uh, I want you to see here in Matthew 23 and, and verse 5. The Lord says of them, and this, this passage is the most scathing condemnation of Phariseeism. He says, but all their works they do for to be seen of men. They make broad their phylacteries, those little boxes with an excerpt from the law within, on their arms, on their foreheads. They make broad their phylacteries and enlarge the borders of their garments. All of this was to really please God. All of this was intended initially to fulfill God's law. They give tithes of mint and cumin. What does that mean? It means that they went through piles of spices. Uh, When you give a Pharisee a a, a bag of spice, he poured it out and he went through taking each little individual piece of spice and he would count how many pieces of of cumin he would have till he got to the bottom and he would divide it by 10 and then he would take 10% and he would move it across and he would tithe of mint and cumin. I mean, this guy was committed to keeping the law. They were obsessed with outer cleanliness. They were obsessed with washing and social separation. These people lived to a higher standard than any of us. And yet, according to Matthew chapter 5, when their report card comes out, the greatest teacher of all says, must do better. He says, if you're going to get to heaven, your righteousness has to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees. He said, if you want to be saved, you'll have to go further than they have gone. In fact, you'll need to be perfect, is essentially what he's saying there in verse 20 of chapter 5. He says, only perfection, nothing less, nothing more will do if you're going to make it to heaven. Now, let me ask you a question tonight. Are you perfect? Are you the perfect person? Are you the perfect son? You're the perfect daughter, you're the perfect father, the perfect husband, the perfect wife, the perfect mother. Well, you're the perfect, are you the perfect employee or the perfect employer? Are you the perfect school child? When your school report comes out, does your teacher write perfect? I don't think he or she does. You might write excellent or very good or well done. But I certainly never got a school report that said, your son is perfect. Never. You see, Jesus said, you've got to be perfect. And that had to really, you know, just raise the, uh, grab the attention of the Pharisees. It was shocking news to their ears because they couldn't believe it. You know, why? is this God's standard? And if they were shocked by that, if they were concerned about that, we should be concerned about it too. For if the Jews of old, who were so fastidious about the law, and so meticulous in their endeavor to keep the law, that they actually created an entire legislative system around the law in order to prevent them from breaking the law, if the Messiah comes and says to these people, of all people, your efforts are not good enough. You'll have to do better. You'll have to excel beyond the standard of the Pharisees. If he says that to them, they must have thought, well, what hope is there for us? And if he says that to us, we need to say, what hope is there for us? You see, everybody knows there are ten commandments. But in Judaism, there were actually 613 commandments when you added in the 
ceremonial law and the social laws. And you know, following Ten Commandments is hard. All of us would agree we've broken the commandments just in ten. To follow 613 is even harder yet. So in the Mosaic law, one of the commandments is to keep the Sabbath day. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. And so what the Jews did was they they looked at the Ten Commandments, they looked at the 613 commandments, and they made various other commandments, other laws that surrounded the central law, sub-laws if you like, sub-clauses. And they put all those sub-clauses around the laws so as to ensure that they didn't break the central law. And so in the case of the, of the Sabbath day, you know, the, the Jews, in order to be sure that they wouldn't break the Sabbath day, actually had 39 legal categories defining what work was. You know, the Bible says you're to do no work on the Sabbath day. Well, the Jews says, well, what is work? And they say, we better write this down. We need to tell people what work is. And so they began to define what work is. And they wrote a law that says, if you do this, you've worked and you've broken the law. If you do that, you've worked and you've broken the law. So they had 39 extra categories related to that, uh, to that commandment, the fourth commandment. And then not only that, but they had sub-sub-categories. And, uh, you know, and, and on it went. And so there were literally hundreds of bylaws attached to the uh, Ten Commandments as we know them. And uh, they included, for example, with respect to the Sabbath day, included things like how many steps can you take on the Sabbath day? That's why Jews, when they have a synagogue, they live within, and, and probably more so in the past than in the present, but, but when people used to walk to, to the synagogue or walk to church, the Jews would live within a certain, uh, a certain uh, area uh, close to the synagogue so as not to break the Sabbath as they would walk there. They counted the steps from the front door of the, of the synagogue to their front door to make sure that they didn't break the Sabbath sub-law. Hundreds and hundreds of laws. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, Hmm, that's good. But if you're going to get to heaven, must do better. Must do better. You see, the truth is, friends, that all of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Everybody's sinned. Everybody's sinned. So every one of us has fallen short of the mark. Uh, and, you know, our, uh, and then if that's the case, you know, then our righteousness, no matter how admirable it may be from a human point of view, doesn't come up to the standard that heaven requires. And if that's the case, then who can be saved? How can we enter the kingdom? If you cannot outlaw the Pharisees, if you cannot outdo the Pharisees who were in the premier league of law keepers, who were fastidious and detailed in their efforts to maintain the law and obedience to the law, if you cannot outdo them, and I can tell you here and now, there's not anybody in this congregation from the pulpits of the pew who's outdoing them. If you can't outdo them, Jesus says, then in no case will you enter into the kingdom of heaven. So where does that leave us? I'll tell you where it leaves us. It leaves us entirely at the mercy of God. That's your only hope. 
Your only hope of heaven is relying entirely on the mercy of God. Your only hope of heaven is appealing to God's grace. Your only hope of heaven is that God is willing to forgive you. Because the law, with all of its ramifications, was ever intended to bring you to that place. Look in Galatians chapter 3 for a moment. Galatians chapter 3. Verse 21. It says, Is the law then against the promises of God? God forbid. For if there had been a law given which could have given life, verily righteousness should have been by the law. But the scripture hath concluded all Notice these two words, under sin. That's where you are tonight if you're not a Christian, you're under sin. That the promise by faith of Jesus Christ might be given to them that believe. But before faith came, we were kept under the law, shut up unto the faith which should afterwards be revealed. Wherefore the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified By faith. You see why God gave those commandments? He didn't give you those commandments so that you would keep them. He didn't give them to you so that you'd be saved by them. He gave them to you so that you'd be frustrated in your efforts to keep them. Where you'd come to the place where you acknowledge that you're worthy of his condemnation. That you are under sin. And where you'd say, well Lord, if ever I'm going to be saved, the only chance I have is in your mercy. And then he says, here's Jesus. And I come to Christ. I come to Christ. Did you know that the average UK citizen commits 32 different crimes every year? All of us, on average, commit 32 different crimes every year, but most of which we have no idea about. We have no idea that we're actually breaking the law. You know, for example, if you're out in the car and you're driving along and uh, you come to a junction... You're trying to get out, you know, the traffic's heavy and you're trying to get out. And somebody pulls up and slows down, flashes their lights at you and, and gestures you to come out. And you come out and as you come out, you do this. You broke the law. Because according to the highway code, you've got to keep your hands on the wheel. So if you lift your hand to wave at somebody or to give them a thumbs up or, or worse, <laughs> you're breaking the law. If you're, if you're in the car and you're driving along and, and you're going a distance and, you, and sometimes we do this, we'll bring a little something to eat and we're eating a sandwich at the, at the wheel or we're drinking a Coke, at the, you're breaking the law. According to the law, you're not allowed to do that. You know, if, you, if you've ever cycled on a footpath, and you see people cycling on footpaths all the time, don't you? They're breaking the law. Here we were talking in the kitchen on Friday night after youth spot someone was you playing knock at the doors, rap at the doors. You remember telling that? You realize that's against the law. There's a law about that. I used to love that when I was a wee boy. I remember one time we went round our estate and we collected all the garden gnomes. <laughs> collected all the garden gnomes in the estate that we could find. 
We went to this poor woman. We used to torture her, play a knock at the doors. And we lined these gnomes up from the tallest to the shortest down her steps and along her driveway. And then we got behind the wall and pulled the string and wrapped her door. And out she came and there was a line of gnomes standing waiting on her. You know that woman, we, we laugh about it now and she's probably, bless her, you know, looks back and thinks we were terrors. But it should have been in her rights if she wanted to to phone the police and the police would have come and they would have had to attend to that. Because that's a crime. You're not allowed to steal gnomes. And you're certainly not allowed to line them up and wrap people's door without their knowledge or their desire of you being there. Watching a television without a license. You may have done that. If you were going to somebody else's house and said, do you want to watch this show? And you say, yes. Do you ever say to them, do you have a TV license? You never ask them to show you their license, do you? You just assume they've got a license. You may have sat and watched many programs with people who are friends of yours who are hardened criminals who have no TV license. You see, here's my point. The government can make all the laws it likes. But people being people will always either get around the law or they will outright break the law. You see, the law has no ability to deal with the power and the nature of human sin. Has none. And when it comes to God's law, which is far more exacting than Westminster's laws, when it comes to God's law, we are guilty of breaking God's law, not just 34 times in a year, but hundreds of times over. Because God has laws that our parliament has long since made redundant. There's no law on our statute book that says it's against the law to covet. There isn't one. There's no law that says it's against the law to lie unless that's in court or in parliament. There's no law that says it's against the law uh, to commit adultery. You can commit adultery and you'll not go to jail and you'll not pay a fine and nobody will come after you. The police won't come if you call up and say, listen, my, my husband's having an affair. They're not going to come for that. But God has a law that is far more exacting than man's law. A law that is far more demanding than than man's law. And if you sin but three times a day, once in word and once in thought and once in deed, if you sin in in that number each day, you realize that over the course of the year, you'll not just have broken 34 of God's laws, but you'll have broken over or about a thousand of God's laws a year. 1,000 of God's rules every year. Ted Turner, husband of Jane Fonda, is a shoe into heaven, apparently, because he was kind to animals. Well, maybe he did save a few animals from extinction. I don't know. But I know this, that that man is now well into his 80s. And if he were to stand before Christ tonight, He would have well over 80,000 sins on his record. And without Christ, no means of recourse and no opportunity to enter the kingdom of heaven. You see, all the law does is establishes our guilt and proves that we sinned. That's all it does. Now what? Punishment. 
That's what happens when you break man's law, isn't it? There's a punishment for not having a TV license. There's actually a punishment for cycling on a footpath. If you had an accident on the road and they found that you were eating a sandwich or drinking a drink, there would be a punishment. The law would come down on you. There's a punishment. That's what happens with man's law and that's what happens with God's law. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Not just physical death, but eternal death. Not just separation between your soul, spirit, and body, but a separation of your soul and spirit from God forever in eternal hell. That's the punishment and wages of sin. But Jesus, the one and only person who never broke a single one of God's laws, who utterly fulfilled the law in its every precept, who was and is the only perfect man who ever lived or who ever will live, Jesus stepped in for us. And he bore our death. He suffered our death. He took our punishment. He secured our pardon. And he allows us to go free. That's the beauty of the gospel and the wonder of salvation. No religion. No good works. No merit. No virtue. No law keeping. Just Jesus. Do you know him tonight? You say, oh, I said a prayer. Well, well done you. But do you know him? You say, my mommy says I got saved when I was a little boy or a little girl. It's not what your mommy says that matters. Do you know him? Do you know him? Have you actually trusted in him? Have you believed upon him? The only perfect one. The only one who could fill the law. The one who died for you on the cross stands ready and willing tonight to save you. Are you ready to put your heart's trust in Jesus Christ tonight? May God bless these thoughts to your hearts.